Well, it is a privilege for us to be here with you this morning. Um, we are not here at Forest Grove very often on a Sunday morning, but we do feel like we are amongst friends and family uh, in this church because many of you have uh, been, gone on trips with us around the world to uh, meet our international workers, to pray with them. Marianne has been so significant in just helping us uh, develop uh, so many of our programs and Ryan and Terry, who now are part of Multiply, they're on our team, uh, starting Source Saskatchewan. And so this church is a church that is missionally minded. You are all about raising up leaders, um, praying for those leaders, releasing them, sending them out around the world. And so it is an absolute privilege for us to be here with you this morning and feel like we are with um, family. Yeah. So uh, thanks, Kevin, and thanks to the leadership team for inviting us to kind of help close off this whole series on disciple-making. And uh, disciple-making, discipleship, is the root word is disciple, which comes from discipline. And so when I grew up, discipline meant that I would hear a jingle of my dad's belt, and that was discipline. I was like, oh, I'm going to get a spanking. That's all illegal now. Uh, but <laughs> discipline actually means just to practice. Practice something. To do it over and over again. That which you've seen your master do. And so we are disciples of Jesus Christ. We're following in his footsteps. And yet, that's it. Like, discipleship is pretty simple. If you don't think you're a disciple, you probably are. Or if you think you're not being followed, somebody, somewhere, is watching you. So uh, I often just talk about some really simple principles. We're not going to get into this, but I just want to say disciple-making, discipleship needs to be demystified. It's not for the experts. It's really simple. And that is proximity. What does that mean? Discipleship means like it's going to happen with the people closest to you. You're following somebody. And if you're intentional about it, then you're actually going to do some things of intention. And it should be simple, just really simple. And that is whatever you're doing, in your faith, it should be so simple that you don't have to get a whole bunch of books and explain it all to somebody. There's got to have some transferable principles that are just there for everyday life. How do you work? How do you worship? What do you do in certain situations? These are just simple things that you do as you follow Christ and you learn. And biblical, one of the best ways to just do discipleship is pray the scriptures together, read scripture together, do what we're doing, discussing it, a good disciple, like the way Jesus taught, would be he would go to the crowds and say some crazy things and then tell stories that were kind of cryptic. And then his disciples would go, what were you talking about? And that's lunchtime. So after church today, if you didn't understand what Lloyd and Carol were talking about, you practice discipleship. You go for lunch and you talk and, and you kind of flesh out the real life applications to what's going on. And the spirit will lead you. Just be spirit led. Be attentive to the Holy Spirit, attentive to one another listening and through scripture you're going to actually those are the big secrets of discipleship so we're done no, <laughs> moving on uh this 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 today we're looking at this final banner i just love that you guys have these banners for your core values on disciple making we're looking at experiencing and modeling jesus's love experiencing and modeling jesus has done so much for us jesus is god among us to show us god's love forgive us from sin He's starting a new kingdom that we're part of, and he's trying to break down all the old religious rules so that we can actually share in God's love. 
He's done so much. Just experience that. And then do what Jesus would do. Model it. Done, right? It's easy. But is it that easy? I think we find that experiencing Jesus' love and modeling it actually shows up in places of tension. Yeah, so today just we'll start by looking at one of Paul's prayers in Ephesians, one of my favorite passages, and it's just it sets a really good tone for us this morning as we talk about modeling, uh, experiencing and modeling Jesus' love. So it's Ephesians uh, 3, I don't even have the reference written down. 14 to 19. 14 to 19. So my response is to get down on my knees before the Father, this magnificent Father who parcels out all heaven and earth. I ask him to strengthen you by his spirit, not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. And I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all the followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out, experience the breath, test its length, plumb the depths, rise to the heights, live full lives in the fullness of God. When we experience this extravagant love that comes from God, our lives are transformed. We can no longer be the same people when we come into the presence of Jesus and we feel his embrace. Just our, the hardness of our heart just melts away. And as we are transformed, everyone around us is transformed by the love of Christ that we explain to the people around us. Sounds awesome, right? Jesus has got all this stuff available for us, and yet living it out is tough. I have a friend who's kind of like Carol, very passionate person. His name is Steve. We were on the phone last week, and Steve was just telling me this story. Their church has moved into a new building, and they're in Denver, Colorado. And uh, he came to the church one day to do some work there, and he saw a paper sign just stuck on the window of one of the doors that read something like, no loitering, no busking, no camping. Uh, Violators will be removed by the Denver Police Department. And he's like, oh, this must have been left here by the previous owners of this building. And so he just took the sign and ripped it down, threw it away. And some of the context is where he is in in Denver, Colorado. There's lots of homeless people, and they were camping out in, in the community area. Well, he came back to church the next week to do something on a weekday, and he saw the sign was back up again. And he's like, what? It's, it's our church that's putting these paper signs up all the time? And he just crumpled it up, and he was ticked. And he, he, he wrote me, we, the church, represent the love of Jesus, and our sign communicates legal and forceful removal of the marginal in our community. We're a community church. By definition, shouldn't we be open to the community? But, I think a lot of us have a but in our heart, right? How do we do that love and openness and create a safe place for people where they're not going to be a fear, be fearful of coming and meeting somebody with an addiction or a mental illness or their safety's at stake and those kind of things. Like there's a tension there. We know we want to love, 
But, but, a couple weeks ago, I think you were looking at serve others and proclaim the gospel. Bruce, uh, Pastor Bruce was sharing about the Shama. It's, uh, it's a, a prayer or a mantra that a good Jewish person does in the morning and the evening. And it's a reminder every day, twice a day. And here it is. It's the greatest command. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. This is what the Pharisees said is the greatest command. It's your ticket to God. And in some ways, I think Steve's church was like, we are creating a community church here where we can be safe and secure and we are going to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, and strength. And yet when Jesus was interacting around the Shammah with the Pharisees, he said, that is the greatest command, but I want to add something to it that's going to stand right beside it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus agreed with this mantra that he was probably saying twice a day as well. But he wanted to make sure that his listeners, his followers, his disciples were also practicing horizontal love as well. We need to be connected vertically, but that is actually interdependent upon how we express that out. And so you can see that there's a tension there. Discipleship is experiencing this love of Jesus and then also allowing it to change us in a way that is only going to be evident, not necessarily only in our worship, but it's going to be evident in how we react and how we love those around us. So as we said before, experiencing and modeling love of Jesus, it's easy, right? Just easy. Mm-hmm. So a biblical uh, story that kind of represents some of the tension that we have in loving and modeling the love of Jesus is uh, found in Matthew, Matthew 9, 9 to 13. Um, some pi- Bibles call this the call of Matthew, or others say it, who needs a doctor? In this passage, uh, Matthew is a tax collector, and here we see the transformation where he is invited to go from being a tax collector um, to being a disciple of Jesus. And so just to give a little bit of background, um, Capernaum is Jesus' adult hometown, or the base of his ministry. He uh, was born in Bethlehem and then was a refugee in Egypt and then returns to Nazareth. But finally, he resides in Capernaum. And so Jesus knows the people of Capernaum, and they know him. Know him fairly well. So he would have already known Matthew before uh, we are entering into this story here. So I'll I'll just read this uh, starting at verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew. He was sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. Many tax collectors and sinners came. They ate with Jesus and his disciples. The Pharisees saw this. So they asked the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus heard this, so he said, Those who are healthy don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Go and learn what this means. I want mercy, not sacrifice. I have not come to get those who think they are right with God to follow me. I 
come to get sinners to follow me. So Lord, I want to just pray that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see your word this morning. It's a great little story. Scriptural setting here. You can almost imagine it, right? Carol said, Jesus is walking through Capernaum. He kind of knows the people. He's got a little crowd of disciples following him. And then they come upon this guy, Matthew. Which they, like Carol said, they probably knew each other somewhat. And Jesus says these words, follow me. Now, that phrase is a really important phrase in the time. And that is a rabbi would not just go say, follow me, follow me, here and there. If you use that term, it was an invitation to the inner circle of his followers. That is, to hear the term, follow me, all of the good Jewish moms wanted to make sure their son heard those words someday. Oh, good, Jacob and Cornelius got the call to follow him. So that's how important this was. And so for Matthew, this would have come as a bit of a shock, knowing Jesus, Jesus knowing him, he had already chosen a trade. He had chosen a trade that put him outside of the church. I work for the Romans. I actually collect money for our enemies. So the synagogue would have kicked him out. Probably his family estranged him. And here he gets the call. And all the old aunties and mothers in the crowd are like, Oh, scandal. Jacob didn't get the call. That dirty rotter, Matthew, got the call. What's going on? So why? Why would Jesus pull this guy? And Matthew is pumped. He's just like, I'm done. I'm out of here. And then we, the scene continues. We're all of a sudden at Matthew's house. Okay, so in that context, too, it's not like our homes. It would, it's courtyard homes, right? And so they could see Matthew had Jesus and some of the disciples in the inner courtyard with, where the family would hang out. And there was other tax collectors and sinners. Who knows what kind of people were there? And then in the outer courtyards, you know, there would have been some Pharisees trying to make sure they stay all ceremonially clean, but they're watching. That's not the way a young rabbi should behave. And there's a conversation that's going on. And instead of the disciples answering the question, why does he do that? Jesus kind of perks up from the inside, right at the middle of the party. Here, this is why I do it. And like a good rabbi, he gives them a riddle. He goes, who needs a doctor? The sick. I want you to go and learn. And now he's being a rabbi again. Because rabbis have some phrases. Follow me is one of them. And a couple of others are go and learn or go and find. If he would have said go and find, the Pharisees would have been fine. Because they would have known that he's quoting Hosea 6.6. But he says go and learn what this means. And he quotes Hosea. And that phrase, when when a rabbi says that, it means you now tell me the whole intent of that passage in the scrolls. I want you to tell me the intent. And so the Pharisees are sitting out there going, Hosea, Hosea, oh yeah. Hosea, the prophet, was told to marry a prostitute, to love her, no matter if she's faithful or not, as a personification that the message here is, God doesn't want animal sacrifices. He wants a relationship. And so much so that he will relate to mankind as if you are a prostitute, and you're just going to keep being unfaithful, but I will love you anyways. And so he's sitting in the middle saying, this is what the Lord has told us. Go and learn that principle from Hosea. So 
So why did Jesus choose Matthew? Because Matthew had created a home where when Jesus came, his friends came, tax collectors came, he had created a home so safe, so secure, that those people that were outside the church felt welcome and comfortable and safe even when a rabbi would walk in. Can you imagine that? Being part of society, you've been outside the church, outside this, you think of yourself as unclean already, and, but you found a place where you were welcome in the evenings for supper. And then a religious man comes right to the middle and a bunch of his followers, and you're like, oh, smokes. You would just run, probably. I'm not worthy, but they didn't run. Matthew got it. He had created a sense of belonging for people to meet his rabbi that we could actually have conversation and a meal together. So about four years ago, Lloyd and I had the opportunity to meet Christina and Gedimus. And uh, Christina and Gedimus are from Lithuania, and uh, they were uh, becoming church planters, but their conference decided to send them to Canada for three months of missionary training. And so we received them in Winnipeg for the first uh, week of training and uh, had just a great time getting to know them. Now, Christina, she is one of those personalities. She is full of joy and just an exuberance that everybody around her just gets drawn into. They felt they feel loved and valued by her. And so it was during Christina's first visit to Winnipeg that I want she to pause you. That's Christina on the far yes. side, and this is her team members from Lithuania. Yeah. So um, it was during Christina's first visit to Winnipeg that she met Darnell, and this is a picture of Darnell on this side here. Darnell is a man that had spent a number of years living as a homeless person in Winnipeg, and. Uh, for that week that uh, we had all these people in Winnipeg doing missionary training, Darnell was one of our hosts. He uh, was our cultural interpreter and translator. He took our group out on prayer walks. He introduced them to the community. He introduced them to the culture of Winnipeg's inner city. Um, he took them on an overnight where they uh, slept on the riverbank. He shared his life story with them. A uh, story of being First Nations, of homelessness, struggling with addiction, loss, and trauma. Darnell was like a protective mother bear. He watched over this group, and he was so um, proud of his community, but proud of this group as well. And so he op created opportunities. He was a bridge for people to really enter in, grow, and learn. But the biggest thing that he taught them, modeled for them, was Jesus' love. He taught the group to look beyond um, outward appearances and circumstances and taught them to love without prejudice or judgment. Christina was deeply, deeply impacted by the week in Winnipeg and impacted by Darnell and just found it such a privilege that she had opportunity to build that kind of relationship with someone. Um, and so... It was about 
she always wanted to come back and she wanted to bring people from Lithuania back to Winnipeg to serve and have the opportunity to enter into this kind of community and grow from uh, together. So this last summer, just a couple of months ago, Christina brought two of her friends uh, from Lithuania and they came and they served in Winnipeg's inner city. And uh, she, um, before arriving in Canada, Christina's father had passed away. And as she was preparing to come to Winnipeg, she felt prompted to bring a pack of her father's cigarettes for Darnell. Now, cigarettes are a form of currency in uh, Winnipeg's inner city. And this is something that Christina had learned from Darnell. And she just had been praying for him, and she wanted to bring him a gift. Now, for us, we had lost track of Darnell and weren't sure if this was actually going to happen or not. But um, it was uh, only a couple of days uh, into their time in Winnipeg, and Christina was walking past Darnell's old church. And she saw a man sitting on a bench, and she thought, oh, that might be him. But his hair was longer, and he had aged quite a bit, and he didn't have that bright demeanor that she had remembered. But her heart started to pound, and she was like, I'm just going to sit down, and I'm going to ask him. And so she sat down, and as she sat down next to him and looked into his face, she could see that it was her friend that she had met four years ago. And... She just shared, began to share with him how they knew one another. And, um, sorry, kind of, she explained that they knew each other, and immediately Darnell began to weep, telling her about the loss of his good friend. He felt hurt, betrayed, abandoned, and didn't know where he belonged any longer. He was lost. So they sat together for a while, talking and praying together. Christina shared about her father passing away and the cigarettes, that she felt like she was to bring those as a gift for Darnell, that she was being invited to pray for him and meet with him. And Darnell was deeply impacted, deeply impacted that she would remember him and that she would pray for him. God was, and that God was inviting people from all over the world to actually pray for him, to come and visit him. He felt like, I am no longer abandoned by God. God knows me. He remembers me. Even though I feel lost, he knows my name. And he is sending people to come and reach out to me. Four years earlier, Darnell had taught Christina. So much about loving people on the street without prejudice and judgment. And in the meantime, Darlene had lost his way. And Christina returned to Winnipeg from Lithuania and was able to model Jesus' love and remind Darnell just of the extravagance of who God is. In the business of discipleship or disciple-making, we kind of have three Bs that we talk about a lot, and that is uh, behavior, belief, and belonging, and uh, being rooted in kind of the 
evangelical Anabaptist tradition, we often, without even thinking about it too much, priorize them. And that is, uh, we probably put belief first. That is, Jesus is the Word of God, and, and, and Scripture is our way to get to know Him. And we've got to get to know the truth, and that is part of our heartbeat. And probably next would be behavior, and that is, as we get to know who this Jesus is, he transforms our life. And the evidence of that transformation is how we actually live it out, our behavior. And then, as we think about it, it's like, oh yeah, if people believe the right things, and they behave the right way, well, they can belong to us. We find belonging in our groups. But is this the Jesus model of experiencing and modeling the love of Jesus? When we think about even the Matthew story or the story that Carol told about Darnell and Christina, we actually find that belonging comes first. It's a priority. Matthew created belonging so that we could get to behaving and believing. And my story is the same. I grew up, I grew up in Brandon, Manitoba, but I did my university years here. And when I came, uh, my brother had become a born-again Christian and was hanging out with people like my wife, Carol, here. (laughs) And uh, so I started hanging out with them. And they were youth leaders at Westgate Alliance Church, those radicals over there. And uh, go Westgate. Uh, And so they kind of brought me into their social group, and I had belonging so much. They even let me kind of join their youth leadership team, and I, I was not believing and behaving yet, you know. But I was in there, and... You know, over time, I was recognizing that, wow, I was starting to change into the likeness of my friends who were changing into the likeness of Jesus. And I was like, they're still kind of weird, but a little bit more time, and all of a sudden, it's like, I, I believe. I believe this Jesus stuff. Like, Jesus is Lord. And that's how it worked in my heart and life. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I wonder whether, if you think about your own story, it kind of resonates that way with many of us. Um, and the church, the church, the ecclesia, is that place of tension between belief, belonging, and behavior. It's not easy. We are a place where people are supposed to be able to come in and feel absolutely welcome. The unconditional of love is here. You belong. You are accepted as you are. But on the flip side, the church is also a place where when you come in and you've experienced that, the next phrase is, but you will never remain the way you are. And it's not a to-do, it's a get-to. You are accepted and we are transforming, we are changing. It's a beautiful place we are, the church. So about three years ago, I was in Thailand with um, just a bunch of global leaders from all over the world, and I had an opportunity to meet um, a man named Safari. Now, Safari is dynamic. He is African. He loves to pray. He loves to worship. He loves to dance. There is just an exuberance about his presence, and uh, yeah, just... A little bit of my heart was, uh, is a part of that as well. Uh, but there is a story behind Safari's exuberance. Imagine being surrounded by a group of armed young men who come into your village and your home. They round up all of the men and they kill them. 
And if you survive, you run for your life. There's no other choice. And this is Safari's story. He miraculously survived his village's genocide by rebels while everyone else in his family was killed. He ran from the Congo to Malawi. And over time, he became a a pastor and a church planter. And at one of his evangelistic outreaches, he meets a man. And this man um, just shares with him that he is also from the Congo. And that he was a rebel soldier. And that he actually... Um, committed just atrocities that he never thought that he would ever be forgiven for. And that he, he was lost, completely lost. Um, and Safari assured him that Jesus is able and willing to forgive all of his children. And the man shared with Safari that he was part of the team that had gone into his village, Safari's village that night. He was part of the team that had killed his family. And that day, Safari had a choice to make. Was he going to follow the way of Jesus and forgive? So he did. He he didn't only just forgive, but he took this man into his house. He gave him a place where he could belong, where he could grow. He could grow in an understanding of who God is. He could grow in an understanding of just the extravagance of God's love. He brought him right into the inner circle, and he said, I love you because Jesus loved you. I forgive you because I have been forgiven by Jesus who went to the cross. There's no other way. Safari took the high road of discipleship. He chose to forgive. He modeled the love of Jesus. He gave up the desire to see this man suffer in any kind of way. It's significant to note that Safari now leads just an incredibly dynamic church planting movement across Malawi. He mentors around 40 people, 40 other pastors and church planters. And I think that he's probably the spiritual father of about 100 churches throughout the country. When we experience the extravagance of God's love, the extravagance of his forgiveness, the extravagance of his acceptance in our lives, when we experience that, we are changed. Mm -hmm. And the world around us is transformed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'd like to invite the worship band up. Um, So in summary, that's my wife, by the way. Isn't that awesome? She's pretty passionate, eh? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we experience this love of Jesus and it transforms us. And when that happens, you can't help but then get out there and continue to experience and model that love as well. And so, uh, yeah, you can just go to this, this last one. I just thought I'd put up a couple of questions for us. With regard to disciple-making, experiencing Jesus' love and then modeling it, is it time for us to lean into uh, to believing? Sorry, is it time to lead into belonging? Like, 
maybe you, you felt the nudge. Wow, I got to create some safe places for those in my sphere of influence, whether it be a family member, somebody at work, or somebody like, there's no way that I could sense belonging with this person, but you know the Holy Spirit's telling you. Is it that time for you? Or is it behavior time? It, like you're sensing the Lord saying, whoa, disciple means discipline, means practice. Ah, the Lord's got some stuff for me. Maybe it's fasting or prayer or leaning into creating places of hospitality and acceptance. The Lord's nudging. Or is it time to really focus on beliefs? Like, what do I believe? I don't know. Get together with others. Have lunch today with somebody. Talk about it. Do discipleship. Like, what do we believe? And how does that actually transform how we help people belong and actually walk out this love that Jesus has for us? Thank you.